He said, but nobody ever goes to my place. And I said, well, if you can guarantee our safety, we'll go. He goes, ah, you will be fine. I said, okay. So we went up north, and um, we're touring around the north, and we go to the hospital. And literally, there are children dying from malnutrition, from malaria, from um, just a stomach virus, just normal diarrhea. They die. My daughter looks at me and says, Dad, can't we do something? Well, it's time for this edition of Mid-South Viewpoint. I'm Byron Tyler. Always great to get together with you, friend. And thank you so much for watching the programs that we put on Facebook and also YouTube and our radio show that airs on AM640 and FM100.7. And I do appreciate so much those who follow and are encouraged by the programs and mainly the wonderful guests that we have in the studio. It's always a pleasure for me to introduce to you various ones. And today I'm really excited because we're going to go back in time for me. Back in the college days at Mid-South Bible College here in Memphis, Tennessee, there was a student, Floyd Paris. We didn't know each other prior to that, did we? It was at, at Mid-South. Uh, attended the same things, you know, like uh, revivals and things like that. I saw you around at other events. But yeah. really, we got to know each other at Mid-South Bible College. Back in the gymnasium, kind of the break time, away from all the theology and all the deep Bible conversations. We would hang out in the back of the gymnasium in a kind of a game room. And play ping pong. And play ping pong. And lots of ping pong. Lots of ping pong. You were pretty good at smashing that ball. Uh, I had my own time of practice there. It's not, you know, I, I was in the library too. Yeah, yeah, you did. You did some preparation and study time, but those were some good days. I want to kind of just lay a foundation and unfold really the ministry that you've been involved with now for really since you left school. I know that you were preparing. That was ministry itself when you were Absolutely. preparing to be a pastor at Mid-South Bible College. Uh when you left there, you were pastoring, I think, for a time in Kentucky. Is that right? Uh, that, that's true. I, when I was in um, Mid-South Bible College, I was the youth minister at Leewood under Dr. Glisson. I was there until I finished Mid-South, went to Mid-America, pastored in Mississippi, West Tennessee, at Mount Pleasant Baptist Church in Skullbone, Tennessee. And from there, I went to Unity Baptist Church in Ashland, Kentucky. And I was there for 15 years. And that's where my kids graduated from high school and that kind of thing. You mentioned you were on staff at Leewood, and then your ministry took you to various churches in Mississippi. Was the decision to come back to Memphis, was that tough for you? It wasn't really, um, not really, because I'd gone to Africa for five years first. Um, in Kentucky in 2009, the Lord saw fit to call my lovely sweet wife home that's an underlined statement right there lovely and sweet wife penny and i want to also bring her into our conversation because 10 years ago i believe last month on may 9th that's correct penny went to see jesus she went to see jesus it was actually the saturday before mother's day in 2009 i was in memphis saying goodbye to my grandmother who was 92 years old i was the last grandson to make it in town before she passed away but actually, Penny passed away 12 hours before my grandmother. Oh, my. So Penny passed away on Saturday before Mother's Day at um, 5.17 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. And my grandmother passed away at 5.12 a.m. Central Standard Time. Wow. Uh, my grandmother's funeral on Tuesday, Penny's funeral in Ashland, Kentucky on Wednesday, and then we came to Memphis and had another funeral on Thursday. And then Penny's favorite uncle passed away on 
Monday, and his funeral was on Friday. So we had Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday funerals. Floyd, I mean, I didn't know that, first of all. Mm -hmm. I can't imagine what your family had been through during that time. We talked about going through storms, and I'm sure you found the grace and mercy and sufficiency, the faithfulness of Christ to be there. Absolutely. I've told people before, I said, "You, you won't understand it, but I honestly felt the prayers physically felt the prayers of people carrying my family during that time. You know, the Bible talks about the peace that surpasses all understanding. Mm, absolutely. Sometimes we would like to have control of that peace when we wanted it, but God then gives it to us when he knows we really need it the most. And and he does. It. You know, I, I've never been angry with the Lord. I, I set my kids down and I said, listen, God didn't do this to us. God did this because he loved your mother. And my wife had suffered with MS, and she died of a massive heart attack. And because she had MS, it kind of masked the symptoms of a heart attack. She also had high blood pressure, by the way, so take your medicine. And um, it just kind of caught everybody off guard. I mean, nobody expected it. She was 46 years old. Yeah, I was wondering if there was any signs or anything of her health. I mean, you mentioned MS. I didn't even know she had MS. Yeah, she she had MS, and we found that out while we were living in Ashland, Kentucky. So I, t- I told my, my kids, I said, you know, the Lord has never done anything to harm us. So we can't look at this as though he has done something against us. He hasn't. He simply answered her prayer over our prayer, and her prayer was two things. She never wanted to be a burden to the family, and she never wanted to be where she couldn't be able to do for the family. And you knew Penny. I mean, that's well, just the way I, she was. Well, I was going to say, I mean, Miss Bubbles, basically. Oh, absolutely. The gift of encouragement, totally. I first met Penny back in first grade at Kingsbury Elementary School. And I think, I'm trying to remember, we went through school together through, did she graduate from Kingsbury? I was trying um, to think. She transferred to Briarcrest. Yeah, somewhere. But in she, there. yeah, she went up through. I can't remember how far, but, but for a good number of years, right? We were but in she lived in the same house. Yeah, right. in the same neighborhood, and and I remember because you know when you're in first grade and you're sick, and the teacher would get all the kids. Well, we got to make get will cards for you know mm-hmm. whoever was sick. I remember hers being bright and cheerful, and always. You know, you both went to Leewood. We both went to Leewood. So you kind of grew up together. We did. As a matter of fact, she had a crush on Tim Parrish. And uh, he was a pitcher on the Leewood baseball team. I was the catcher. and uh, I remember Tim Parrish. Right. Yeah, yeah. So she yeah. used to come and, and watch him pitch, and she was actually sitting closer to me. But I was catching. <laughs> she saw my back, she didn't, and I had the mask on. So, uh, But but we laugh about, you know, she was really coming in the, on her b- big blue bike yeah. to see me. Yeah, and, so, and she just dropped the H, right? Yeah. Parrish for the Paris. That's right. Yeah. Correct. Yeah, that was, worked out perfect. Perfect. See. Uh how soon did the transition take place when you actually resigned from the position in Kentucky? <clears throat> How long after her passing did that take place? It was, it was actually about four years. It was kind of funny. Um, How old were the kids? Now, you, you mentioned you've got a son and a daughter, uh, Philip and Julie. Mm-hmm. And so how old were the kids at that time? Well, and, and I know it sounds like a, like a Greek tragedy, okay? But when, when Penny passed away, that funeral on Wednesday was on Julie's 17th birthday. Oh, my. And that's my – she's my baby. And Philip is four years older. So Julie had just turned 17, and Philip was going to turn 21 in February. So that's how old they were. 
Philip was already uh, in the university. He had just transferred from the University of the Cumberlands to University of Kentucky and hadn't started University of Kentucky yet. And uh, Julie was about to go into her senior year in high school. So that's, you know, how how old they were. And suddenly I have a, you know, a teenage daughter starting her senior year and asking me those questions about prom dresses and, you know, I – I I had relegated all that to Penny, so I had to take a crash course real oh quick and you know figure out a way to do that without embarrassing her and embarrassing me. And so Penny had some wonderful friends that took her prom dress shopping, and I said, "You just take a picture of it and send it to me, and I'll give you my yes or no." <laughs> anyway, but but uh, you got through that time, yeah. And it, you know, it, the Lord's grace uh, just did that. Um, I've never known my children, of course. Hurt, yes. Do we miss Penny? Yes. Have there been those uh, down times? Yes. But we've never seen that anger in them, hmm. you know, and, and that's just the grace of the Lord because a lot of people, you know, get angry with the Lord. Now, Floyd, when we were catching up on the phone last week, you were telling me about the various nations that you've been to. You preached in over 40, I believe, 45, yeah. I think you said, different countries. Yeah, about 48. That but, you've traveled to and preached. The ministry we want to kind of unfold now, which uh, you're involved with, this was non-existent prior to Penny's passing, right? That is correct. But you traveled. You took your children. You took Julie and Philip back to Africa. And right. why did you take them to Africa? Well, you know, I've been to a lot of different countries at that time. But the only mission trip that Penny ever went with me on was to Africa. So after she died, we had been given a sum of money in her memory. So I told the kids, I said, you know, why don't we go back to Uganda? It's the only country that Penny ever went with me on a mission trip. Let's go back to Uganda and let me have your input on how you think we ought to spend the money. So in the summer of 2010, we went back and I took them all over Uganda. I've been going to Uganda for probably at that time 15 years. And um, we'd gone east, west, south. And uh, one of the, the men who worked for me, his name is Gabriel Uzira, who um, is a four-time Olympic uh, champ from Uganda, three-time African champ. In what in, area? In um, um, hammer toss and discus. <laughs> okay. So he's kind of a big man. And he said to me, he said, you know, nobody goes up north. I said, well, Gabriel, up north is where we have Coney. Coney is that crazy man going around, you know, attacking villages and killing people. And he said, but nobody ever goes to my place. And I said, well, if you can guarantee our safety, we'll go. And he goes, ah, you will be fine. I said, okay. So we went up north and um, we're touring around the north and we go to the hospital and literally there are children dying from malnutrition, from malaria, from um, just a stomach virus, just normal diarrhea. They die. My daughter looks at me and says, Dad, can't we do something? And I said, well, yeah, we, you know, I can buy some medicine and we'll make it available here at the hospital so they won't have to pay for medicine. And uh, they have socialized medicine over there. Right. And uh, the Mahdi people are the smallest tribe in the most remote area. When I say most remote, at that time there was no electricity in Moyo except the generator that ran two hours a night. We decided to do that and – start putting medicine there 
Um, they were averaging at that time about seven children dying a week. That's one a day. My son, who was older, said to me, well, Dad, if they don't learn to read or write English, which is the national educated language, then they don't have any hope of getting out of the village. Can we maybe start a school? And I said, well, um, you know, Lord can do anything. Let me, you know, <laughs> yeah. let me see. So we went to a church service that weekend, that Sunday. Um, and the way they say praise the Lord in Mahdi is a chua a penny. I tell you, say it one more time now. A, a chua, chua a, penny. a penny. And my wife's name was Penny. Yeah. So we just kind of looked at each other and said, you know, this, this is the place. Nobody's going to West Nile. No one's going to that side of the Nile River. Talk <clears> about <throat> the conditions there. I mean, you talked about the health and the people being so sick with cholera and other health issues yes. talking about here. But uh, what is the like the political environment? What is the religious environment? Well, um, the Mahdi people are, and, and the word Mahdi means I am here. If you come for friendship, I am here. If you come for war, I am here. They're the first invaded, the last liberated any time there's been a major war. When Idi Amin retreated, he retreated through the Mahdi territory, crossed the Nile River there at Laropi, and he gave his army orders to kill anything that drew breath. And that means he killed animals, elephants. He killed everything. And there was a section of road there that had uh, skulls on either side of it. That's just, you know, so it's a very vicious, harsh area. Uh, even today, there have been raids back and forth uh, from the Sudanese raiding, Kony um, raids. Um, so it, it's... It, it is the most remote. As a matter of fact, my compound is less than three kilometers from the South Sudan border. And we know the stories coming out of Sudan mm. since Darfur and mm -hmm. all of the other uh, situations since they've tried to create a new – kind of separate the two, have the southern liberated state of Sudan. My goodness. So you didn't go there thinking you were going to start a mission, did you? No, I didn't go there thinking that at all. And um, so we, we started helping – the hospital, and we put the word out that if you can get your kids to the hospital, medicine's free. And a lot of people say, well, you can't afford medicine. Well, let me tell you one story. I was standing in the, in the hallway uh, of the hospital, and um, this man and woman come running in holding a nine-year-old girl. And they said, uh, she was bitten by a cobra. Can you help? Can you help? And the doctor said, oh, we, we don't have any medicine. So I turned to Vusada, who works for me, and I said, Vu, um, there's a pharmacy in town run by some Indians. Go and see if it's available. If it is, buy it. So he jumped in the car and went down there, came back, and they only sold it eight doses per box. And uh, so they took one out, gave it to a little girl, and, you know, she was, she was sick for a few hours, but she got better and the parents came to me the next day, and they said, we are so sorry. We, we have no money. We, we, we can't pay for this. And the whole box of eight cost $12. So to save her life was a dollar and a quarter. Oh, my. And they didn't have – And they didn't have a dollar and a quarter. Have, they didn't have it. And, and they didn't have it. Wow. So what is so common under socialist type of medicine like that is if the hospital didn't have it, if you go out and buy it and bring it back to the hospital, they will administer it for you. Yes, it works that way in so many countries. I was talking yeah. to some people in Peru recently, and the same hospital 
standards are there. If you're sick, you go to the hospital. If you need bandages, if you need syringes or certain type of medication, your family member has to go and buy it and bring it from the pharmacy to you. Then they'll, yes. they'll administer and take care of you. It's so different. Socialized oh. medicine is so different. We have um, that the hospital uh, one year saw 465,000 patients with one doctor. Oh, that's crazy. We have 43 health centers around the Moyo district with no doctor, just nurses. But now you started a hospital, right? Well, what we do is we help supply all 43 health centers. Uh, we did help start a health center in a place called a Beso. And up on a Beso, uh, it's a mountain plateau. It's, I think, at 4,300 feet above sea level. And um, there are 20,000, 22,000 people who live up there. They have no water, and they had no medical clinic. So it's about 28 miles to the hospital. So a pregnant woman, if she felt she were going into labor, to get to the hospital, she would have to walk down the mountain 28 miles. And they said, can you do something? And they have two forms of government there. They have the local government, and they have the the national government or federal government and they also have the chief so they actually have three forms so i decided to get all three of them together on top of a baso and i got them all together and i said you know they need a clinic up here and they go oh yeah yeah they do they do i said i looked at the chief who owns the land i said will you give land for there to be a clinic built and he goes uh yes i said okay what land will you give now, the Monty people are very honorable, so once he says it, he can't go back on his word. So he gave the land. So I turned to the federal government, and I said, will you promise to build a building here? And the resident district commissioner, who's appointed by the president, said, uh, yes, the federal government will build a building. So then I turned to the local government, and I said, will you supply it with beds and and our personnel and they said uh we don't have supplies but we will put personnel here i said okay tell you what i'll do if you give the land and you build the building and you will give the personnel i'll supply the beds the chairs the desk and medicine and you're not doing that with i have this bank account with x amount of dollars in it (laughs) (laughs) not at all As, as a matter of fact when i when i wanted to to start work over there um I was told that I was too old. I was already 50 years old, and you're too old to be a missionary. And I said, well, God's laid on my heart that these people need help. So they said, well, we're, we're, we're sorry. So we just started United Christian Expeditions and filed the paperwork to get uh, our um, you know, 501c3 tax exempt. Then we went to Africa and filed the paperwork become a registered non-government organization. That's what an NGO is. NGO, right. And um, so we started. And just the money that was given in, in Penny's memory, some churches along the way have, have helped, some individuals have helped. And um, we just have, have, you know, since 2012, we've had United Christian Expeditions. We now have, and here you ready for the grocery list? <laughs> We now help support the hospital, 43 health centers. We have six schools. We have two vocational schools, a Bible institute, 
a model farm, 19 churches, four works among the South Sudanese refugees, and a partridge in a pear tree. (laughs) Floyd, you know, as you share the story, I just can't help but think for a couple of things. I thought about what Jesus said, oh, you have little faith. When it comes to doing the kingdom work, sometimes our faith is so small. Although it doesn't take much faith, it just has to be concentrated in the right direction, you know, toward what God's calling you, which I know you've experienced that. But I was thinking Mm -hmm. about a story. I interviewed, he's now the Archbishop of Rwanda, Laurent Mbanda. I'm probably saying his last name correctly, but Laurent used to be with Compassion International here in the States, Mm -hmm. Colorado. He grew up, he was a child during the genocide in Rwanda. He was four years old living in a refugee camp. And so his parents immigrated here to uh, the United States. He grew up, went to college, university, living in Colorado Springs, very nice job as one of the vice presidents of Compassion International. And he decided to take his college kids back to Rwanda, kind of like you took your kids to kind of look at the work mm-hmm. and, and show them where he grew up. And they went back. They saw the same things you saw in right. Rwanda after all the genocide. And his son said, Dad, what are we going to do about this? You know, his daughter said, Dad, well, we got to do something, you know. And so he went back to the States, resigned his job, started some work, long story, thrilling story, but went back into Rwanda doing some ministry, not related to Compassion because Compassion didn't have a work there at the time. And the uh, former archbishop was uh, mentoring him to take over, and now he's now the Archbishop of Rwanda. (laughs) Wonderful. Yeah, but it was through his children, though. He had the vision. We can't underestimate the youth. Some of the greatest movements of today, Floyd, you talked about you being a youth pastor. I know you have a heart for young people. I know that. Absolutely. And seeing how they have vision for that, we've got to nurture that. And the fact that you were willing to take your kids back and show them a place that was dear to yours and Penny's heart Mm -hmm. in ministry, that's powerful. And and my children have been back several times since then, since that first initial trip. You know, one of the things, and, and just how God opens doors, like like the vocational schools. Um, they came to me one day. I was sitting up on the on my veranda, and they said, "Oh, but uh, doctor, you know, we have many people who are too old to start in your schools. You know, because I started nursery schools, started them young, and we just add a grade each year, and." Uh, and, and many of their husbands have died, either in the in the war or by AIDS. Or so we have a lot of women here who uh, don't know English very well and they have no skill. Can you do something? And we prayed about it and said, uh, "Yeah, we'll um, sure." So we started a vocational school for hotel and restaurant services, teaching them English and how to cook more internationally. So that they can do omelets and, you know, spaghetti and chili and, you know, lasagna. Well, is tourism a big commerce there? Uh, there is in Uganda because the Queen Elizabeth Park and we have several other royal parks there in Uganda. Murchison Falls, Queen Elizabeth, Elgon. Um, so if they can speak English, they can go and get a job anywhere in any restaurant yeah, they can go to the big city of Kampala or Entebbe or, you know, any places like that. So, and, and people say, really, you went over there to start a cooking school? <laughs> no. No, no, no. And it's it's sad, yeah. but one of the most requested things by mission teams is my chicken and dumpling recipe. How sad is that? 
out of all the wonderful cooks here in America, <laughs> they're learning my recipe for chicken and dumplings. Yeah, <laughs> you know it's it, it's sad, but you know a lot of the a lot of mission organizations told me, well, you can't do that. I said, can't do what? Well, you're doing too many things. You need to focus on one thing and one thing only. And I said, you know what? I praise God that Jesus didn't focus on just one thing. Yeah. I mean, he could have said, you know, I'm, I'm going to die on the cross for you. I'm not really about healing. I'm not really about teaching. I'm not really about, you know, ministering to your physical needs like food and raising the dead. I'm just here to die on the cross for you. I'm so glad Jesus didn't do that. So it's kind of hard for me to look in their yeah, face and cool. say, you know, I'm sorry, we can't help you. Floyd, this is an incredible journey and time we're sharing here together. Let's remind our friends listening, if you tuned in kind of late, we're visiting with Dr. Floyd Paris. He's the lead pastor of the Leewood Baptist Church. He's also the president of this ministry that we're so excited to talk about. And I love the name United Christian Expeditions. How did you come up with that name? I love that name. Well, there's an orphanage there that is run by the Catholic Church. And and I told people, listen, I, I don't care. Okay, if you're holding up the cause of Jesus Christ, let's work together, you know, and, and that's what we do. And I will say this, you know, um, 100% of the money given to UCE goes to Africa. I don't receive a salary. There's no American that receives a salary. I have to pay my own airline ticket over there, okay? And that's just how we do it, you know, because it's all about them. It's not about us. One of the things, of course, this interview went to a whole different direction than I had anticipated, one that I think is uh, God directed and led us in the conversation. I'll tell you what we're going to have to do. We're going to have to, uh, I think, do another program because there's so much to talk about. So we're going to, at this point, say goodbye. Before we do, we want to give our friends an opportunity to connect with you either through social media, your website, if they want to get on a newsletter, what should they do? You, you can go to ucemissions.com. Uh, that's our website. Uh, you can look at us, United Christian Expeditions, on uh, Facebook. And uh, you can you can call me or at Leewood Baptist Church. You Man, you can reach out any way you want to reach out. <laughs> All right. Well, boy, this has been great. Thank you again, my dear brother, for what you're doing for Christ's kingdom through the work at United Christians Expedition, the work that's taking place there in Africa. We've got more to share. So we're going to have to pick it back up next time, friends. I do appreciate you joining me and Dr. Floyd Paris on this edition of Mid-South Viewpoint. We will return, so be sure and stay tuned for a part two. I'm Byron Tyler, and we'll talk to you next time. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. 